tonight. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Second. I'm sorry, First, First Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter number two in your Bibles. And um, how many, how many remember when you were a kid and you went to a lake or you went to a swimming hole, pond, or something like that? And they had a little swimming area there, and and uh, where it fell off into the deep, they had these little, they had a rope and little buoys. Y'all remember that? And what that meant was, stay right here, don't get out there past those that rope or that buoys, because that's where it gets deep. So tonight, we're going out past the buoys, all right? Okay. And so uh, I just want you, to, I want you to know that ahead of time. So, but I, I want you to really hang in there with me. You'll have to hang in, with, in there with me tonight to, to uh, get something out of this. But it, this is something that we need to know. And so I'm really, the last little bit, really burdened, you know, our church. The Lord is just blessing beyond measure. And our church is growing. And we have folks that are coming and new families are coming. And, um, you know, this last Sunday, uh, you know, we were able to get our new seating in here and things like that. And boy, thank God we did. I'll tell you what, we had a wonderful crowd and we thank God for that. And that's exciting. All that's good stuff. That's really wonderful and positive and all of that. But with the church growing like it's growing, it's very, very important that people know what we believe. Um, and so we're going to take the next, Lord willing, we're going to take the next few Wednesday nights and we're going to go down through what we call our statement of faith here at Calvary and we're just going to teach our statement of faith. And I think that this is going to be a, <clears throat> it's going to be a help to you. And so um, anyway, let's get started tonight. First Thessalonians chapter number two. When you find your place, let us give you one more opportunity to stand, stretch your legs, and also stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 10, and Paul, speaking to the church of Thessalonica, says to the church, your witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Look at the next few words. Because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. Well, look at this last line which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now, we're going to get into this here in just a little while, I think. But let me just go ahead and start right off by saying this. Somebody says, Pastor, why are you so convinced that the Bible is the Word of God? For that last line right there. The Bible says, which effectually worketh also in you that believe, because this book changes lives like no other book. Now, I'm going to give you a lot of other reasons tonight, but if I didn't have a lot of other reasons to give you, that'd be enough. Uh, somebody said the proof's in the pudding. And uh, this is mighty good pudding right here, I'm telling you. And the proof is in this pudding. And so, specifically tonight, I want to talk to you about this subject, what we believe about the Scriptures. What we believe about the Scriptures. And so, you may be seated tonight. And, uh, and so... All right, everybody take your waders off tonight. Take your swimmies off tonight. All right, we're going out to the deep. All right, so uh, we're going to tread water for a little while this evening. So hang in there with us and, uh, and don't fall out with me. Don't fall out with me early because I'll give you plenty to fall out with me later on. All right, so uh, no, I'm, I'm picking. This is going to be helpful tonight, I really, and I believe it's going to be interesting. And, you know, I don't want it to be, I, I don't want it to seem like history class, and I don't think it will, but. Um, but I'm going to really pay attention to my outline tonight because I've got way too much to probably give you in 30 minutes, but we're going to do our best tonight. So let's, uh, let's go to the Lord. Father, we love you. Thank you for your blessings. And Lord, it's a joy to be back in the house of the Lord tonight. 
And Father, I pray that supernaturally that you would bring to mind the things that you have given to me in study, the things that I want to give to your people, but then I understand and, and I confess that there might be some things in this outline that I want to give that you don't want me to give. And so if that be the case, then I pray you'd help me to skip over that. I pray that I would say only what you want me to say tonight. And then, Lord, it could be that I have uh, not prepared to say something and you want it said. Well, I pray that you'd help me to say that tonight. Father, I pray that you knit our hearts together as we learn from the Word of God this evening. And I pray all that's done would honor you, please you, and glorify your Son. And Lord, I pray that we would know what we believe and why we believe it. And so Holy Spirit, go with us now into the deep. I pray that you would, uh, Lord, be that which holds us up and helps our head not to go under. And Father, I pray you'd give us great understanding, save the lost, encourage the saved. Father, help this church to continue to go in the right direction. Lord, so many churches, it seems, are swerving and going off somewhere, uh, Lord, into some kind of a wild doctrine. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you just keep us in the way. And I pray that we would be found faithful when Jesus returns. And so, Spirit of God, help us. I pray for your power. I pray for your wisdom, your direction. And Father, we thank you and praise you for all that you do. For ask these things in Jesus' precious name. And for his sake, we pray. Amen. Well, if you want to see our statement of faith, by the way, we'll be glad to get you a statement of faith. That, uh, we, we would uh, count on an honor to do that. You can also go to our website at calvarybcug.com. And, uh, and there on our website is our statement of faith. And it tells you what we believe. If you were to go there tonight, don't do it right now, but if you were to go there tonight to our website, you would see there there's a little uh, drop down that gives our beliefs. And it says something like this. It says the scriptures. And then it has a lot of stuff underneath that. It says the Godhead, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, Satan, what we believe about Satan, what we believe about man, what we believe about the way of salvation, what we believe about the church, what we believe about biblical separation, what we believe about the return of Christ, and what we believe about our eternal state. Now, we're going to get into all those things, Lord willing, if the Lord uh, allows us to do that. We're going we're gonna to take each one of those headings, and on Wednesday night, we're going to uh, we're going to unpack that for you. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know that we're going to get each one done in one Wednesday night. I don't think we're going to get tonight done in one Wednesday night. We may, uh, we may revisit this again next Wednesday. But I want to talk to you tonight about what we believe at Calvary Baptist Church, what we believe about the Scriptures. Now, let me say a few things as we, get, as we begin tonight. And I understand we have a lot of folks that are watching by live stream and all of that. So I want to say a couple things uh, number one is this, that if you've been attending Calvary any length of time, you know that we have a very strong conviction concerning the Word of God. And as a church, we, uh, we use, as a standard, we use the King James Bible here at the Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And by the way, we make that statement without any apology, uh, without any apology at all. Well, with that being said, there are some, no, I don't think there's any in this church, I, 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 at least I hope there's not, but there are some who, uh, although I take a very firm stand on the King James Bible, um, I don't criticize and I don't demean those who might walk in with another version of the Bible. So here's my, here's my belief in that. Number one, I came out of that. I don't plan going back to that. I, I, I came out of that era where we were mean preachers. And, uh, and so, you know what? The meaner you preach, the better preacher you were. Well, I'm glad God brought me out of that. I think it's a lot better rather than to criticize somebody and to demean them and make them feel small, it's a lot better to teach them what is right rather than trying to pound them over the head with what you believe. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I don't agree with that. And, uh, and so, so, so because of that, some people see me as a compromiser. And uh, some preachers see me as a compromiser, and that's okay. That's all right, because I'm not in this thing for preachers. I'm in this thing for the Lord. And I don't plan on changing just because, just because they don't agree with that, uh, with that stand. 
and I want to ask them, how's it going for you? But anyway, all right, anyway, uh, but, but why, you know, why is that? Why, why, preacher, you know, number one, why do you take that stand? Because that seems like a weak stand. Uh, that seems like a compromising stand. Now, don't forget what we just read uh, in our scripture when we started out in the message tonight, but I want you to look, you're still in 1 Thessalonians, and I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at verse number 6, and, uh, and uh, same passage here, look at what Paul says, verse 6, he says, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Look at verse 7, Paul says, uh, by the way, a man who was, uh, uh, had amazing conviction, amazing, um, amazing conviction, but verse 7, Paul says, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Church, listen to me. You got to understand something. Yes, we believe the Bible is the word of God. And, uh, and we uh, use the King James Bible as a standard here. But do you understand that there are people every single week that walk in these doors and they don't have a clue about any of that? And so you're here tonight, you've been saved for 40 years, 50 years, and, and you say, Pastor, I've got some, you know, I've got some convictions. Praise the Lord. I'm glad that you have convictions about that. But I'll tell you what, if you're here tonight and you've got great, solid conviction on the Word of God, why don't you do this? Why don't you, I ask some of these newer folks in our church to go out and have a meal with you and sit down with them and explain why you believe what you believe. So, Here's the truth. Many in our circles say that they believe the Bible is the word of God. And some of those go on to say that they would only use a King James Bible. And so because of that, they openly criticize those who don't. The sad part about that is, is those who criticize those who don't, don't know why they do. So, so this is all I'm saying. If you're going to preach something and if you're going to have a strong conviction on something, don't you think you need to know why you believe it? And so I'm thankful, you know, I'm, I'm just thankful that many, many years ago when I was just getting started, some people took me under their wing and they didn't just tell me, this is what you believe, this is what you believe, but I'm so thankful some people took me to the side and say, this is why we believe what we believe. And I'm going to tell you something, church, it changed my life. Because they didn't just point their finger at me and say, you got to believe this. They took me to the side and said, let me show you where it is in the word of God. And this is why we believe what we believe. Well, that's what we're going to do tonight. We want to just take you to the side and, uh, and tell you why we believe what we believe. Now, if you were to go to our website tonight and look on our statement of faith, this is what it would say. I'm going to read it pretty much verbatim. What it says on our website concerning what we believe about the Scriptures. It says this, we believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the Bible, as, as it is in truth, the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we just read that. We believe in verbal, which means God spoke it. We believe in verbal plenary, which means complete in every respect. Now, some of these things it doesn't say, I'm filling all this in, all right? Uh, but we believe in verbal, plenary inspiration in the original writings and God's preservation of his pure words to every generation. 2 Timothy 3.16, Psalm 12, 6-8. How we believe the scriptures, that the scriptures are inerrant. And that means that they are without error. Uh, we believe that they are infallible, which means completely trustworthy and they will not fail is what that word infallible means. And God breathed. The Masoretic texts of the Old Testament and the received texts of the New Testament, Textus Receptus, are those texts of the original languages we use. The authorized King James Version of the Bible is the English version we use in the English-speaking world, and the Bible is our sole and final authority for practice, for faith, and practice. Now, we use a lot of big words right there. That word Masoretic, the Masoretic text, just simply means the text of the tradition. 
Uh, it means the authoritative Hebrew and Aramaic text of the Hebrew Bible. And we read the words textus receptus. You'll see that in our statement of faith. And it just simply means this, the received text or the majority text. Now you say, Pastor, you have already lost me. I'm, I'm trying to tread water and I'm already sinking. Hang on because we're going to, uh, we're going to throw you a life buoy here in just a moment, all right? And I think that you'll, you'll understand this. Now let me talk to you a little bit about the scriptures tonight. Um, the Old Testament, what is the Old Testament? The Old Testament is a combination of historical books prophetical books, prophetical writings, and poetry, and it's centered, the Old Testament is centered on ancient Israel. Now, again, we're gonna get into this here in just a little bit, inspired over the centuries. Concerning the New Testament, in the early years of the Christian church, the apostles, living witnesses of Jesus' resurrection and bearers of divine authority traveled among the churches, teaching and exhorting Christ's followers to live consistently with their faith. As the church expanded, the apostles began to write letters to the churches, which carried the same authority as their spoken word. These letters were read aloud and circulated among the churches in that day so that everyone could benefit from the apostolic teaching. Now, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit says about the scriptures. I want you to take your Bibles tonight and turn over to Second uh, Timothy chapter three, Second Timothy chapter three, and look at verse number 16 with me. And I want you to see what, what the Spirit of God says about the book that he has inspired. Second uh, Timothy chapter three, and look at verse 16. And we're gonna, you've heard this, and you've heard me quote it, and you've heard these other men in here quote it, but we're gonna break it down for you tonight. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16. All right, have you found your place, amen? All right, here we go. The Bible says all scripture. Now that's, that's pretty inclusive, don't you think? All scripture. That doesn't leave any of it out. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, notice this, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the word of God is profitable to several parts of our life. Number one, for doctrine. That word doctrine just simply means teaching or learning. Uh, in other words, the Bible is profitable for our learning. And then it says reproof, for reproof. I like that word. It's a word that means evidence. Uh, also, it's a word that means conviction. If you're gonna, if you're gonna get conviction, uh, the word of God gives you conviction. By the way, by the way, church, you need to have conviction. You need to have conviction. We live in a, in a generation, nobody wants to stand up for anything. And somebody said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's true. You and I need to have conviction. I'm not saying you ought not to have conviction. You ought to have conviction. You ought to know what you believe and why you believe it. And the Bible says about itself that it's good for reproof. It's good for conviction. Then it says correction. That's a great word. It means, it means rectification or improvement of life. In other words, the word of God is, is profitable for improvement of life. Listen to me, church. You, you may agree with everything I say tonight, and you may not, but I would just promise you this. If you will live according to this book right here, I can tell you based upon the authority of God's word, it will improve your life. It will. And, and you may not understand it all, but it will improve your life. And the reason is because this book is not like Sports Illustrated and this book is not like Better Homes and Gardens. This book is a supernatural book. It is alive and it can do things that other books cannot do. And so it's good for, it's profitable for correction. Then it says it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. It's a word that means chastening or the cultivating of the mind. Uh, or I like this one, curbing passions. The word of God is profitable for curbing passions. Now, look back, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, and I want you to hone in on the first part. The Bible says all scripture is given by what? By what? By inspiration of God. All scripture, not part, not some, not one book, not several verses, but all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's the Greek word uh, theonostos, and it means this, divinely breathed in, or it means to blow of the wind. In other words, men, what the Bible's teaching us is this, that these men were divinely breathed upon or spoken to. They were told what to write. Somebody said, Pastor, 
How did we get this book? I'm telling you tonight. I'm telling you tonight how we got this book. The Bible is telling us here that men were divinely breathed upon. It is the idea of someone coming up to you and whispering in your ear. So I want to show you a few examples of that. So take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter number 34. And look at verse number 27 with me tonight. And so the Spirit of God spoke to these men of old. He inspired them. He breathed upon them. He told them what to write. Uh, Exodus 34, verse 27. Now, Pastor, why are you telling, telling us this? Well, you work with people and you have people in your family and when they know that you're going to church and they know you're reading the Bible, this is one of the first things they say. Oh, a bunch of men just wrote that. Bunch of men just got together. Well, number one, that's inaccurate. <laughs> but, uh, but they'll say a bunch of men just all got together and uh, they wrote the word of God. They wrote the Bible. Well, that's not, it's not the case at all. Uh, but let's look at it. Exodus 34 and verse 27. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Moses, write thou these words. Now I'm just trying to give you an example of what I'm teaching tonight. And so God, how did we get the Pentateuch? The Pentateuch's first five books of the Bible. How did we get the first five books of the Bible? Well, the Bible tells us that God came to Moses and spoke to Moses and told Moses to write these words. Take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. And uh, somebody says, Pastor, how did, we, how did we get the prophetic books of the Bible? You know, uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah. How do, how do we get those books? How do they come into existence? Uh, uh, look at Jeremiah chapter 30. And look at verse number one. The Bible says here, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, verse two, thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel saying, write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. Now here's what I'm trying to tell you tonight, that the men were simply the writing tool. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Moses, David, as David penned the Psalms, the men were, were, were but, but the writing tool. They were just the implement that God used to give us his book. And so here's what I'm saying tonight. God dictated the word and his servants simply wrote it down. Now, let me show you some more scripture on that. I want you to take your Bibles. I know we're turning a lot of places tonight, but I want you to turn over to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter number one in your Bibles. Somebody says, Pastor, how did we get this book? How did it, how did it come together? Um, 2 Peter chapter one tells us exactly how God gave us his Bible. 2 Peter chapter one, right toward the back of your Bible, if you need a little help with that. Um, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter one, and look at verse number 19. Notice what our Bible tells us here. 2 Peter 1 verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star, day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of, is of, any, is of any private interpretation. Look at verse 21, the Bible says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake, notice this, as they were what? As they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That word moved there literally means of persons born in a ship overseas. In other words, you would get out in a sailboat and you would hoist the sail and the wind would catch those sails and the wind would begin to take that vessel out throughout the lake or the sea or whatever the case may be. That's exactly what that word means, that God breathed these words. He used the men as the writing tool, but it wasn't a bunch of guys that got together. John didn't get together one day and say to James, I'll tell you what let's do. Why don't we write a book? Let's, let's write a book. And I know, we'll call it the Bible. That's not how it happened at all. God's Holy Spirit spoke to these men and inspired these men on what to write. Now, let's go a little further. God chose the nation of Israel as his chosen people. Now, there are some people that don't like that. 
We have some folks on Capitol Hill that don't like that. But you know what, church? It really don't matter whether we like it or not. God can do anything he wants to do. And he doesn't have to ask our permission. And, uh, and God chose the nation of Israel. He chose a people, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, to represent his name. We know that because of Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. I'll just read this for you. Deuteronomy 7, 6, if you want to jot it down. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And so God chose the nation of Israel. And then listen to this. By way of inspiration, he gave his word to the nation of Israel. It's a Jewish book. Now you say, Pastor, where do you get that from? Well, how about Romans chapter three and verse one? The Bible says, what advantage then hath the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way chiefly because that unto them, unto the Jewish people, unto them were committed the oracles of God. And so God chose the, 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 the Hebrew people and God gave them his word. Because of that, our Old Testament, uh, our Old Testament was written in something called Hebrew and Aramaic. Our New Testament of the Bible was written in Greek, which was the pretty much the international language at that time. Now, follow me closely. So you've got a Hebrew and an Aramaic Old Testament. You've got a New Testament that is uh, Greek or Koine Greek. Common Greek was the, the common language of the, of the time. Uh, but here's what I want you to understand. Over the course of many years, the scriptures began to be translated into different languages. And eventually, Christians were blessed to receive the Bible in English. Aren't you glad you have an English Bible? Now, I don't know how many of you read Hebrew, and I don't know how many, I'm talking about fluently, and I don't know how many of you here tonight read Greek fluently. And I took a little of both in college, and neither class was easy, I'm telling you that. Um, but most, I would say on the average, most here tonight don't read Hebrew and you don't read Greek, uh, but thank God you do read English. And God gave us an English Bible. And so God began to, uh, the Bible began to be translated into, into other languages. And finally it was being translated into English. And somebody says, wow, that's good news. And preacher, I guess that everybody was really excited that the Bible was being translated into English. And nothing could be further from the truth. People were not excited that the Bible was being translated into English. In fact, listen to this. This is, I'm not, uh, by the way, every, every single thing I give you tonight, fact check it for yourself. The Catholic Church had in an effect a law that it made it a crime punishable by death to translate the Bible into English. In fact, go back and read, your, read your, your history. You don't have to read your Bible. You do have to read your Bible. You know what I'm saying? But, but go back and read your history book. In 1519, the church publicly burned a woman and six men because they taught their children the English version of the Lord's Prayer. And so they burned them at the stake. Now, somebody says, hang on, pastor. I don't get it. I mean, that's good news. They're gonna, they're gonna take the Hebrew Aramaic of the Old Testament and the Greek of the New Testament, and they're gonna translate it into an into a, a English translation so we can enjoy the word of God. Somebody says, Pastor, why would anybody fight against somebody translating the Bible into English? And this is the reason, because much of the clergy back in that day was absolutely corrupt. They wanted average people to believe that they could not interpret the Bible without their help. By the way, church, that's still going on today. <laughs> so we're all these centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries past this, but what I just told you is still going on today. And so it's been several years ago now. We had a lady that was attending our church and uh, God saved her and her life began to change and she came and she said, 
Pastor, she said, I want a Bible. I want a Bible. I want a good Bible. I want a study Bible. And so my wife and I, we got her a Bible, a study Bible. She came over to our house and, uh, and uh, we gave her her Bible. And boy, I remember she was just thrilled. I mean, she was just uh, elated to have a copy of the Word of God. And then she said this. She said, I came from the Catholic Church. And she said, our Catholic priest told us that there's no use in you bringing your Bible because you can't understand it anyway. And so you just come and I'll tell you what the Bible says and you just, trust, you just trust me. Listen to this. In the 1600s, only 20%, I thought this was interesting, only 20% of adult males could even sign their names. A high percentage could, could not read and definitely not another language. And so on top of that, if you don't have an English copy of the Bible, there's no way. You could read the Bible or understand the Bible. And so it'd make you totally dependent upon the clergy. You know, you know what I'm saying when I say clergy, don't you? Clergy is just a fancy name for, for preachers. A guy don't want to be called preacher. He wants to be called clergy, you know. He, he don't want you to call him a preacher. He's a man of the cloth. You know, I'm a man of the cloth, you know. And uh, that's what clergy means. Now, so they were trying to translate the Bible into English and the Catholic Church was fighting against that, fiercely fighting against that. And let me tell you several reasons. Uh, some of the things that they were teaching back in this day and time, they were teaching something called transubstantiation. I still are. You're right, Brother Mike. Transubstantiation, which basically said this, and Brother Mike can explain this better to you than I can, but basically they said this, that when you come in for Mass... And, uh, and we partake of the bread and the wine that at the moment you place that host or that wafer on your tongue, it literally becomes the flesh of Jesus. When you take that cup and you drink that wine or that juice out of the cup, it literally turns to the blood of Jesus. Now, here's, here, here, here's the problem. Men had no way to refute that as far as the word of God. They were also teaching something called indulgences. And you say, Pastor, what's an indulgence? Well, pretty much an indulgence, and I, yeah, an indulgence was a piece of paper. And you would pay for an indulgence, and if you paid for this indulgence, it meant that your sins were forgiven. So the more you paid for the indulgence, the more sins were forgiven. And so there were some people who were coming into the Catholic church and they didn't have a whole lot of money and, and they would say to the priest, I, I, I want to pay for an indulgence. And, uh, and he would say, well, how much money do you have? And they would say, well, I don't have but $5. And, uh, and, uh, and he'd say, well, you're not going to get very many sins forgiven for that. And so the richer you were, boy, the less sins you had because you could pay for a, a very nice indulgence. Not only that, but you can read your history books and it'll tell you this, that many of the clergy back in this day were living very immoral lives. Very immoral. Now, here's the message tonight. Thank God there were some men who had a backbone and desired to translate a Bible that everybody could understand. William Tyndall went down in history as saying this, I defy the Pope and all his laws if God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scripture than thou dost. And so thank God we have an English copy of the Bible, but how did we get it? Well, let me give you this very quickly. It's 816, and uh, there's no possibility of any way we can get this done in 14 minutes, but we're gonna do our best, all right? So everybody hang on tight, okay? So how did we get our, how did we get our English Bible? So notice on the screen here, uh, first of all, there was a man by the name of John Wycliffe. And uh, now, uh, Wycliffe began, uh, began translating the Bible into English, but one thing that you'll learn about John Wycliffe uh, uh, is that he used, pretty much he used the, what was called the Latin Vulgate uh, to help translate the Bible into English. And the Vulgate was known to have a lot of corruptions in it. But, but at any rate, he was trying to translate the Bible into English, and because of that, he was absolutely hated by the Catholic Church. Now, he was very loved by the public, but he was very hated by the Catholic Church. Later on, and you, you'll find this out, but later on, uh, you'll find that in, in 1428, 
the, the Catholic Church so hated John Wycliffe, he was already dead, already dead, but they went and dug up his remains and burned his remains because they hated the work he was doing in translating the Bible into English. Then there was another man, a man by the name of William Tyndale. You've heard of the Tyndale Bible. And William Tyndale was doing something a little different. He was translating the Bible from, from the original Hebrew and Greek text. But before he could finish his work, he too was martyred for the cause of Christ. They uh, took William Tyndale. First of all, they strangled him. And then they tied him to the stake and they burnt his body. Well, not long after that, there was something called the Great Bible, the Great Bible. And it was set up in every parish church. It was a large volume. In fact, it was about two feet tall and very, very heavy. And I don't know if you can see it on the screen there, but if you can see the bottom portion of the picture there, you'll notice there's something there that looks like a chain. And the reason is because they chained the Bible, the great Bible, they chained it to the pulpit. So nobody could just run off with it. Not very many people had a Bible. Not, not many people could, could afford a Bible and they didn't have printing presses back in this day and so the Bible is very, 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 very precious. And so the great Bible, then the bishop's Bible, uh, which, which was a revision of the great Bible used mainly by the clergy and not by the people, not by the common people. Later on, about 1582, and 1609 came the Douay Reims, the Douay Bible, which became the Bible for the Roman Catholic Church. But in 1611, in 1611, uh, a man by the name of King James, King James I decided to have 47 scholars translate a Bible from the original Hebrew and Greek text. Now, follow me closely. But there was something different about this translation. There was something different about this translation work. And let me see if I can shed a little bit of light on that. Um, translation work is often done with something called functional equivalence or dynamic equivalence translation. By the way, it's still being used today uh, for a lot of the newer versions that are coming out. Dynamic equivalence, which means this. Now stay with me. You need to hear this. It means that translators would attempt to preserve the original meaning of the scripture, but they would add additional details to help what they called make the meaning more clear. The King James Bible was not translated by using dynamic equivalence. The King James Bible was translated by using something called verbal equivalence, which means that the 47 translator translated it word for word. Now, hang, hang with me. They translated what the originals said, not what they thought they ought to say. That's a big deal. Now, but there is a little, there's a little disclaimer, not a disclaimer, but when you have this type of literal translation, you know what happens, and this is what people say. When you have a literal translation, it means the reader is going to have to study it further to gain understanding. So because of that, it's an inferior translation because you're gonna have to study it out to really get what it means. But wait a minute. Does the Bible not tell us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Somebody says, Pastor, I don't use the King James because I'd have to study. Hey, that's the idea. <laughs> you need to study and I need to study. And so they got it from, again, from something called verbal equivalence. Hang in there with me. Not only that, but look at this right here. The translators also used what, what's called the majority text we read it a while ago in our statement of faith, the Textus Receptus, or it's called the Received Text to translate the Bible into English. Now, pastor, what in the world are you talking about? Stay with me. How did we get this book? And how did we get this English Bible? Listen to this. The Holy Spirit inspired holy men of old concerning what should be written down. 
Moses didn't just come on the scene one day. You know what? You know what I think I'll do, Aaron? I think I'll write the book of Genesis. No. The Bible says that God inspired Moses. God breathed on him like a sail that would convey a ship or a, a vessel. God breathed on him and said, this is what I want you to write. You're just the, you're just the tool. That's all you are. Moses, I want you to write it down, and I want you to write it down like this. And so holy men of old were inspired of the Spirit of God, men like Moses, men like David, men like Isaiah, men like the Apostle Paul, men like John. And these writings are called the original autographs. The original autographs. We read this for you a while ago, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so those were called the original autographs. But those originals did not survive because they were written on things like papyrus and animal skins. And, and so after a while, they dilapidated. And you say, wow, preacher, that means we're, we're in the dark. Oh, no, no, nothing could be further from the truth. Although those originals did not survive, many, 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 many copies of the originals did survive. And we get our Bible from those originals. Those, 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 uh, those uh, autographs, those copies, on the most part, were done by scribes. They were, they were copied by scribes. Now, stay with me very closely. And so, in other words, Isaiah wrote the book of Isaiah. It was written on papyrus, animal skins. And it began to be passed around, and people began to read the prophetic writings of Isaiah. But over time, those scrolls and those animal skins dilapidated and withered away. And, and, uh, but, but wait a minute, though. But there were scribes that were careful to copy the book of Isaiah. And they copied the book of Jeremiah and the book of Ezekiel. And they tell us this about those scribes, that those scribes were very, very meticulous. In fact, uh, it's 824. We're doing pretty good and uh, let me give you, a, let me give you a, uh, an example of their scrupulous precision when it came to, to copying the Word of God. One example was this, that they made the practice of counting all the letters in a given book. In other words, if they were copying the book of Isaiah, they counted every single letter. And they also noted the middle letter of the book. Then they would make sure that that copy matched what they just did to the T. They made sure that it matched exactly. So, so this is what I'm saying. If there were, and I don't know how many books or how many uh, letters uh, are in the uh, book of Isaiah, but if there were 31,000 words in the book of Isaiah, they made sure there were 31,000 words in the copy of the book of Isaiah, but that's not all. The middle letter, they went to the middle letter that was in the book of Isaiah. And so let's just say that it was the middle letter number, number 15,500 and it was a T. Those scribes would go back through that copy meticulously and make sure that that same letter T was number 15,500 and that it was also the letter T. Now, you say, all right, Pastor. But those scribes weren't inspired like Jeremiah, like Isaiah. You're right. You say, preacher, those scribes were human. They were. They were human. And so because of that, you know what that means? That means occasionally there were mistakes. So to correct this problem, the Bible translators took all of the copies, what we call the, the, majority, the majority text. So here's... Here's these scribes, and they're copying the book of Isaiah or the book of Jeremiah, and they are copying it. They're going back through it very meticulously. They're making sure that every letter is in its place, every word is in its place. Uh, they're making sure that it's exactly the same as the letter itself, but yet they are scribes. They are human. And so uh, somebody says, Pastor, occasionally there was a mistake in the copy that these scribes put out. You're right about that. And so this is what they did. Those scribes, those scribes would take all the copies, thousands and thousands of copies, and they would compare those copies 
together. So, if, if one manuscript said, for God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, and yet there were 2,500 manuscripts that said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know what they did? They used the majority text. Rather than base the writing on just two manuscripts and maybe left a word out, they based, that, they based their translation on the majority text of what was already there. Now, you did great tonight. You did great. Now, you say, Pastor, why are you teaching all this? Because I think we need to know what we believe. And if you're going to say you believe something, you need to know why you believe it. But how do we know? How, you know, let, let's just, let's get down to brass tacks tonight. How do we know that this is the word of God? How do we know? You know how we know? We accept it by faith. If you understood everything I just taught, praise the Lord. If you didn't understand everything I just taught, that's okay. Because we don't accept this book because we can figure every single thing out about this book. We accept this book by faith, just like we do salvation. We don't understand everything about salvation, why God would love us like he loved us, why God would send his only son how Jesus could come and take the sin of mankind and be the sin bearer and pay our debt for hell. And, and uh, we, don't, we don't understand all of that necessarily, but we accept it by faith. And we do the same thing with the word of God. Somebody says, preacher, you understand everything about that book? I don't. I don't understand everything about it, but I know this. I accept it by faith. And when I accept it by faith, you know what happens? It begins to change my life. And it changes my wife's life, and it changes my kids' life, and I've seen it change hundreds and hundreds of other lives because our Bible says in Hebrews chapter four and verse number 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Oh, man, what a book. You say, well, preacher, I can't figure everything out about it, so I'm not going to live by it. I feel sorry for you. And by the way, that's where we are today in 2023. There used to be a time in America, friend, when we had forefathers, founding fathers, who believed this book right here. And we were doing well, prosperous, doing well, doing well. And now, little by little by little, we're moving further and further away from this book. And as we move further away from the word of God, things are literally falling apart. Somebody said that person who owns a Bible that's falling apart usually isn't. It's true, isn't it? Alice Morton said, if I should live a thousand years and search it every day, the precious word of God would still shed light upon my way. Should every other earthly thing be severed from my grasp, I pray that I may ever hold my Bible till the last. And someday when he calls me home and I at last can look upon his face, I want to kneel and thank him for his book. I hope it didn't lose you tonight. I hope you understood at least some of what I was trying to teach and I was probably a little scattered tonight, but I hope it, I hope it made sense. And if you have questions, hey, listen, feel free to come and ask us after the service and We'll be, glad to, uh, we'll be glad to talk to you about that. And uh, now, Lord willing, next week, next week, we're gonna unpack this a little bit further. And we're gonna talk about, um, we're gonna talk about the subject of biblical authority. Biblical authority. Now, what is that? What is biblical authority? Um, we're gonna talk about why we do some things we do at Calvary, why we don't do some things at Calvary. And by the way, by the grace of God, never will. Um, because this church is not based on a pastor. And just in, and I, I don't think anybody's wondering tonight, but we're not a part of a we're not a part of a denomination. We're not a part of a headquarters. We don't, you know, we don't write Nashville, Tennessee and ask them if we can preach something. We don't write Dallas, Texas and and check with Dallas Theological Seminary and say, is it okay if we support this missionary? We don't do that. 
We just pray about it and seek the will of God and say, church, what do you think? And if we feel the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we do it. And uh, we don't get help from any denomination. No denomination sends us our money. You say, well, preacher, who pays for all this? His name is God. God pays for all this. And, uh, and so we, uh, there are some denominations that are literally church. Literally, they're going off the deep end right now. Because we are, we are departing from this book. And so by the grace of God, and you pray, I mean, you pray like everything, but you pray that by the grace of God, we will stand firm on this book right here until the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes again. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for this time we've had together tonight. And uh, Lord, I sure hope it made sense. I sure hope people understood. Father, I am so thankful that I have a perfect book tonight. I'm so thankful that I have a pure book tonight. Lord, I'm so thankful that I have a, a Bible that I can put my faith in, that I can base my life on. Lord, Lord that leads me right, never leads me wrong, never has led me wrong. I am so thankful for the precious, precious Word of God. I don't know that there was anybody that was in, Lord, sort of in, in between. But maybe there was somebody here tonight wondering, should I really base my life on the Bible? Maybe somebody was watching by way of live stream tonight and they're wondering, is this book really trustworthy? God, tonight, would you confirm it in their soul that this Bible is completely trustworthy? It's infallible. It's inerrant. And yes, Lord, it is inspired. God breathed, the God breathed word of God. Father, I pray that you'll have your way in this invitation. And uh, Lord, it could be there's somebody here tonight that needs to make a decision. And if that be the case, I pray they'd do it tonight on this March the 1st, 2023. And our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And real quickly before we go tonight, how many are here this evening? without anybody looking, nobody's looking. And you just say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not sure, I am not sure that I would go to heaven. Brother Steve, I wanna go. I really do wanna go to heaven, but I'm just not sure I would. I'm not sure that I have been born again and I care enough to slip up my hand and let you pray for me tonight. Is there one anywhere like that tonight that I could pray for. You'd say, Pastor, remember me. If I died, I'm not sure of heaven. Can I pray for you tonight? Is there one anywhere? Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I'll tell you what we are going to do. Let's just all stand all over the house tonight with our heads bowed. I'm going to let Brother Abel and Brother Michael play for a minute. And if you're here tonight and there's something that you need to do with the Lord, listen, the altars are open or... If you're here tonight and you need somebody to pray with you about something, maybe you've got a heavy burden. You walked in here tonight so heavy and you've got a heavy burden and you just need somebody to call out to the Lord with you. Hey, listen, we're gonna be here for just a moment. You come, we'll be glad to pray with you. And uh, if nobody comes, we'll end up the service and let you go. But tonight you just mind the Lord as we wait.